listening to series two of my podcast, Innovation, where we get to hear the wisdom and experiences of incredible women in science and technology. My aim with these conversations is to learn more about STEM, science, technology, engineering, and maths, and to hear from STEM people who are from diverse backgrounds who tend to be really underrepresented. Essentially, through innovation, I want us to get smarter and more knowledgeable about innovation, but I also want to bring a voice to the voiceless who are actually doing the STEM. I was one of those people. I grew up in a very STEMI household where we were raised to be curious about the world around us and figure out how things worked. Maybe that's the reason why I ended up studying mechanical engineering. It taught me so much about how things function, which was super useful, but I must admit that it was actually life itself that taught me that not everything can be explained with neat little mathematical equations. Life is messy, it doesn't always unfold in a straight line, and here on Innovation I want to hear how other people in STEM, particularly minorities, have dealt with that. This week I talked to Dr. Christina Drake, a materials engineer. My name is Christina Drake. I'm the founder and CEO of Kismet Technologies. So I've come across the word Kismet before and it kind of means something to do with destiny and serendipity, right? So how come your company is named after that? Yeah, so when I founded my company, I wanted to do technologies that helped people to live um, healthier and safer lives. Um, and the word kismet I used because it was, um, in my mind, meant to be technologies to help people um, live healthier lives. Okay, so tell me about your journey as a woman in STEM. Like, you know, how did it all begin? So uh, I wasn't particularly um, into math and science <laughs> uh, when I was uh, younger, but I loved the show Star Trek Next Generation. And the chief engineer on that short show, Jordy LaForge, who is also the guy that does Reading Rainbow, um, I was just fascinated by his character that he wasn't the showy, um, exuberant one on the show, but he was the one that literally made it possible for them to do their space exploration and to be safe. So he was the one constantly saving everyone's lives on the ship. And so I went to engineering because of a show, <laughs> because I was just so fascinated that you could learn a skill um, and have that kind of impact on people. Um, and that's why I went into engineering. Um, and I liked what I was studying so much that I went to grad school and got a PhD. And I would have never have guessed that <laughs> when I was younger that I would do that. Um, and so my first job out of uh, grad school was actually at a defense contractor, uh, which was interesting because it was a missiles company, but um, I wasn't that interested in weapons. So I started uh, researching medical technologies, which was very at odds <laughs> with what the company did. Um, but I just found a way to do that. And I kind of realized, well, if I'm doing this, I'm probably not in the right place. Uh, and then I was a professor. I helped start a university um, in my area, and I was one of the founding faculty members there. Um, but I just felt like I could do more. And so that was why I started my company. Um, and that I started my company two years ago. And so that has been a very interesting journey for me. So what kind of engineering were you studying? I did material science and engineering. Um, and actually, when I started college, I was originally aerospace engineering. Um, and uh, in the program that I was in, they make you do an intro to engineering class uh, your first semester in the program. And there was just this one professor who for material science and engineering week, 
um, he showed uh, just these beautiful images of crystals and like the crystallography behind them. Um, and it just reminded me of the dilithium crystal on Star Trek. So this all went back to Star Trek. I went and changed my major the next day because I was like, whatever that is, it just looks so fascinating. Um, and I did it. And uh, like I said, I got a PhD in it. I just, I loved it. And I, I mean, I would have not guessed that um, before. So I was very fortunate that I showed up that day for that lecture um, to learn, just see the beauty in all these crystals and to be like, I, that's what I want to study. I absolutely love those stories where you're just captivated by something and you just want to pursue it. I mean, I find those kinds of stories so inspiring, but like, how did you overcome? Cause you said that you weren't particularly good at maths and kind of science or physics. Like how did you get past not necessarily being great at those subjects, but then ending up with a PhD in something like engineering? Yeah, so I spent a lot of time um, studying because I just knew that I wanted to be involved uh, in creating new material technologies. Um, and one of the things that I realized after I switched my major to material science and engineering is that um, materials are critical to innovation. Um, so if you want a faster computer chip, you need better materials deposition on chips. Um, you know, drug discovery, um, some of that is in, you know, biomaterials engineering. Uh, if you want better um, optics and cameras, you know, that are cheaper that can go into your iPhone, that requires material innovation. And it was just, I wanted to do that so bad <clears throat> that I was going to make myself good at math and physics. Uh, and so it was just seeing the end goal of what I wanted to do was worth, you know, the the struggle <laughs> to get good in those areas. Yeah, I mean, God, that's so um, determined of you because, you know, some people are intimidated by those subjects and think, no, nope, not for me, I'll go into the arts or something completely different. But your fascination with the subject didn't um, kind of led the way and that's just so inspiring because um, you're absolutely right. Like I'm, I'm actually writing a chapter in my book about advanced materials. And it is so true that materials underpin all progress. It's incredible. Yeah. And so once I understood that and sort of saw the breadth of what I might be able to do if I could get proficient in these and get really good at materials engineering, I was highly motivated. Um, so if I didn't understand something in differential equations, I was gonna spend hours studying it until I did. <laughs> and, and that was just my whole college experience was getting good at that so that I could be a good materials engineer. So where does that ambition come from? Like the, the drive to be successful in something that you're really interested in? Like what were you sort of, was it simply just because materials engineering was so fascinating to you or were you driven by something even more than that? Um, yeah, that's interesting. So my, so in my childhood, I actually, uh, I was an Air Force brat and we lived all over the place. Um, and we lived in the Philippines um, right before Mount Pinatubo erupted at Clark Air Force Base. Um, and it was kind of interesting. So we had to flee. Uh, when the volcano erupted near our house, which was a very scary experience. 
Um, but it was interesting because I still remember being on the big naval carrier um, as we were going from the Philippines to Guam. Um, and they still had the fighter planes and all of this technology on there. And that was my first time really seeing, you know, things developed through very hardcore engineering um, that were just sort of mind boggling that these were real things. They're not just things in comic books. They're not just things, you know, these are things that actually exist. Um, and I think that's kind of where, where my curiosity about, um, I, I think advanced technology sort of started. And, you know, but I wasn't very into, I, I wouldn't say I was very into math or science. Um, and at some point after we made it back to the States, I started watching Star Trek and I think that was kind of my outlet for it was being able to see how, you know, and they would talk about advanced technology on the show. Um, you know, they, you know, it's, it's a great, wonderful imaginary world of what could happen if you could create these new technologies. Um, and so I think that fascination sort of uh, was sparked through a tough experience where, you know, it's just, but it stuck out in my mind. Like it kind of never left that experience uh, a week on a naval carrier and seeing these sort of amazing things, you know, seeing these huge radars on the top of the ship um, and seeing, you know, these fighter uh, planes and just like kind of the amazingness of having this huge heavy structure that could carry, you know, thousands of people from the Philippines to Guam. Um, as we're fleeing, obviously, a devastating situation. But, you know, it was just sort of remarkable that that was there. That is so incredible. And what's also amazing about that is that it was a, it was a natural um, event, you know, it being a volcanic eruption. So um, even though it must have been absolutely terrifying, it was kind of you know, nature's doing rather than, you know, one of these traumatic like war conflict type situations. Um, but it's so incredible. I knew I could feel that there was something so much more to your drive um, than just material science. But I'm also with you, like material science is so fascinating. Um, what's it been like for you as a woman um, in the field of engineering, I'm assuming it's very male dominated. Yes, it is very male dominated. Um, and what was interesting is when I was um, going for my undergraduate, um, I didn't really feel it that much um, that, you know, being a minority woman, um, because I had just such very encouraging um, professors. And then same when I got to grad school and my PhD advisor, I still work with him. Um, he is fantastic. He's been the best mentor. I would say I didn't really feel the cultural crunch <laughs> in terms of being a, a woman in STEM until I entered the workplace. Um, and that was very uh, surprising to me because I didn't um, really understand that um, going through school. Um, and I didn't really feel that pressure or difference that I was a woman in STEM. Um, and I actually still remember um, my first year in my job, someone saying to me as I was getting onto an elevator, and this is at work, um, and they said beauty before brains. And were, you know, uh, <laughs> telling me to go on the elevator. And just, I felt crushed with that. Um, but, you know, I feel like the way to um, change it, and I think this was part of why I wanted to start my company, 
um, was I wanted a very egalitarian um, way to bring technologies forward. And so, um, you know, it's like I worked at a big corporate company. It's really hard to change culture <laughs> in there to some extent, even in the um, academic university system, um, that can be difficult. Uh, but in my company, right, I'm, <laughs> I'm the boss, so I can choose how people have power in the company and how people are able to speak. And I want everyone to be able to do that. Um, and so I, I at least now feel like in my company, I've kind of gone back to like what I had experienced more when I was going to school for engineering, which is feeling equal not feeling like, you know, <laughs> that somehow being a woman is something that sticks out. And so we have a very diverse uh, team now with my company. I mean, how have you navigated um, that whole sort of minority culture? Like you, I mean, you're still in technology, you haven't left, um, you know, you're thriving. Um, you must have picked up some skills along the way in dealing with being underrepresented in your field. Um, can you share them with us? Yeah, so I'm definitely having great mentors. Um, I had mentioned uh, my PhD advisor. Um, I kept, an, even when I was uh, working at this big corporate company and when I was a professor at a university, um, I would go to him for guidance. I would also say my first um, boss <laughs> at this big corporate company, um, and, and these are all men, but they were just very intentional about giving me um, skills and you know a network uh, to fall back on so that I had people to talk to, I had people to go and ask questions to and to not feel embarrassed or, you know, uh, you know and, and that's really important. I think having a network of people that, you know, have your back and are on your team and want you to succeed um, was critical to me being able to navigate, um, you know, because I, I have two children, so I had to take time off for that, you know, <laughs> and I'm in these jobs where it's not only am I a woman minority, I'm also now pregnant. Um, and, you know, in the last couple of months of your pregnancy, uh, things can be difficult. Um, and so, but it's great if you have people that you can get, even when people say mean things to you or treat you differently because of that, you have your network to fall back on you, to encourage you um, and to like help you mentally, you know, be resilient against um, whatever you feel like uh, is being said negatively or it might not even be said, but it might just be the culture or the environment feels non-welcoming. Um, to you. And so having a team of people to just really encourage you and to um, help you be mentally resilient is important. Um, I could say in very broad terms that you're a woman that has it all, because here you are with a tech company, two kids, I mean, an amazing education. Um, and I think there has been an era where women had to choose one or the other, like either motherhood or career. Um, did you ever feel that you were faced with that choice? Um, and if so, like, how did you navigate through that? And if not, if, you, if it was always the norm for you to have it all, um, can you offer some sort of like 
I don't know. Do you get what I mean in terms of my question? I, wait, yeah. hold on, because I need to rephrase, because it's a very sensitive, it's a very sensitive um, point of view, because I don't want to project my stuff onto you, but I'm a woman who was in engineering. I ended up leaving engineering and I don't have children, purely because of the challenges that I faced in doing that. And then I see you with... Um, you know, you, you managed to have all of the things which I thought women had to choose between. And it's like, wow, how did you do it? You know, I guess that's my question. How did you do it? I just knew what I wanted. And I, and it's sort of like with engineering, I knew that I wanted to be a technologist. I knew I wanted to invent things and to make a difference in my field. I also knew I wanted to have a family and I knew I wanted to have children. And so I didn't really care what the expectations were. I was going to figure out a way to make it um, work. And I would say I'm very fortunate that I have um, a husband and a partner who, you know, he's behind me on that. And so I have a very good partnership with him raising our kids, Um, you know, and it's just, I knew that that was what I wanted and I wasn't going to let society or anyone else tell me that I couldn't do both. And I just figured out a way to do it. It's exhausting, but I mean, I, I, for me, I want to end my life with as few regrets as possible. (laughs) And so I, you know, I know what I want. And I go after the things that I want. That is so key. And it's so amazing to hear you say that because I think sometimes there's um, a sort of culture amongst women where we feel um, bad to ask for what we want or at best we're apologizing for knowing what we want. Um, where does that attitude come from, from you, where you're just like, no, this is what I want. I don't care what anyone else thinks. I'm going to go out and get it. Like, how did that strength um, evolve in you? Um, I think it's two parts. Well, so one, my dad um, passed away when I was five. Um, but one of the last things I remember him saying to me was that I was a queen. <laughs> and so I, you know, so I, I ran with that my entire life. I was like, I am worthy of dignity <laughs> and I am a queen, even if no one else sees it. Um, and then also um, my mother is Filipino and the culture there is a lot more matriarchal than it is um, in Western, uh, most Western cultures. Um, And so women tend to be very outspoken in the household and tend to have, you know, a lot of um, say, and and then also she ended up raising me and my sister um, by herself um, for most of my life. But I was uh, raised around women who just, they knew what they wanted and they went after it. Um, So it never felt odd to me until I think my first job out of school is and I was like, oh, this isn't the norm. <laughs> this isn't how people just operate uh, in society. So I think it was twofold, but for different reasons from both of my parents. Well, you're amazing. And uh, gosh, I wish I had been knowing you like years ago when I was kind of like forming my own path through my career because um it's women like you that we need to be surrounded by because you shine a torch um for other women coming up through the ranks to just go well she's done it I can do it um so it's just really amazing to hear your story 
Um, so tell me more about Kismet Technologies. Like what do you develop? Like what do you actually do through your company? Yeah, so we, I'm a materials engineer. So we work in material innovations. Um, and last year when the pandemic started, uh, so, and when I had started my company, I didn't know what specifically we would do. I just knew that I wanted to start a company. I wanted to make new technologies that helped people live healthier and safer lives, but I wasn't quite sure what that was yet. So at the beginning of the pandemic last year, I um, had gone to a grocery store, saw someone try to disinfect a door handle when I was trying to get milk, was very irritated by that, I think, because everyone was at the beginning of the pandemic, because I knew that disinfectant had to be on a surface for a while to work. Um, and so it was just sort of peculiar to me that, you know, we can edit genes, we have CRISPR, and we can't solve viruses and bacteria on surfaces. We have to leave something wet for several minutes. And so we were on lockdown here. Um, I spent a few days basically manically <laughs> uh, researching uh, everything I could about how disinfectants worked, trying to understand like why <laughs> it was so bad. Um, and then going through that process, I, I kind of, uh, well, not kind of, I did learn um, the actual uh, mechanisms that broke down viruses and bacteria. And in looking at those, I was like, I know a materials technology <laughs> that could do this. It needs some tweaks, but we can do this. Uh, I reached out to my PhD advisor, um, and at first he's like, I don't know. And then he was like, oh, no, 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 wait, 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 let's, let's talk through this. And so um, basically in one conversation, we came up with the idea for it. And then he was like, we're nuts. We need a virologist because we don't know what we're talking about. None of us are experts in microbiology. Spoke to a virologist, and uh, that was where the idea for NanoRad was born, um, and we managed to get funding, uh, federal funding uh, through the National Science Foundation. And uh, within two months of starting that project, we realized we had discovered something way more important <laughs> than just you know, a quick disinfectant for uh, viruses and bacteria. And uh, we, so now we're pretty much fully in the antimicrobial <laughs> section of uh, material technologies. Um, and just our team has grown. We've added another, um, an infection prevention expert um, from the School of Medicine near us. But uh, yeah, so we're just looking at how do we prevent, now we're at, how do we prevent hospital acquired infections? Um, that's a huge problem worldwide because of antibiotic resistance. Um, it's also uh, in certain parts of the world, norovirus, which causes diarrhea um, um, and stomach illness can be fatal. Um, and that's a very difficult virus to get rid of on surfaces, we can do it. So really very quickly trying to commercialize uh, these technologies that we feel like can have a huge, huge impact on people's health outcomes um, when they go to hospitals or if they go to a public restroom or on a cruise ship. Uh, so yeah, just really exciting. Uh, it's a little bit overwhelming because it's so many things that we could be doing and trying to stay focused, but it's a lot of fun. We, I really, <laughs> I really enjoy it. How do you carry yourself in all of these leadership roles? Because you're leading research, you're leading cutting edge technology through your company. Like, how do you carry yourself? Because you must still very much be um, surrounded by a majority of men. Um, 
So there's a couple of ways that I break down um, goals that I want to achieve so that I don't get overwhelmed because otherwise it would be very overwhelming Um, because there's constantly, I just, you know, I constantly have things that need to get um, done. So I think about, okay, this year, what do I want to get done? And then, you know, big items. And and that can be things professional and also personal um, to me. And then I break it down to um, smaller chunks. What can I do this month to move towards that goal? Um, And big picture. But then I break it down even more. What can I do this week? And anything that doesn't align with that goal gets down prioritized. Um, And so it makes decision making really um, a lot easier for me. I don't get stressed out and worried about like, am I making the right decision? Um, And so it helps me to more quickly prioritize what I'm doing, um, decisions that I need to make. Um, And then I also have people that I confide in and, you know, people that are on my team that have my back (laughs) that, you know, want uh, Kismet to be a success and for me to also have, you know, career success. And so, um, you know, there's the prioritizing of goals, which I think, um, sounds like a cheesy exercise, but I think it mentally helps to keep things decluttered so that you feel less anxious and worried and you're able to more quickly and decisively go through what you need to do. Um, and so I think from a leadership point, it helps um, the people that work with me have confidence um, that I'm not um, making random decisions or making you know, emotional decisions and making uh, you know, well thought out decisions very quickly, <laughs> but I, that I know that there's a reason behind everything that I'm doing um, when I do it. Um, but, and then also having people to bounce ideas off of um, and to be able to like speak to them through, I'm making this decision, what are the long-term consequences or benefits of what I'm doing? Um, and so, I, and that's kind of the framework. That's how I'm able to get a lot done <laughs> um, without, you know, getting extremely like stressed out because I want to be happy. (laughs) I want to enjoy everything I'm doing. I want to enjoy my work. I want to enjoy working with the people I get to work with. Um, I want to enjoy my time with my family and not feel guilty when I do any of those things. So one of the things that I've really noticed over the years being in a very male dominated um, field is that women have gone through a kind of transition so when I first started out in engineering there was this real sense of like women have to be more like men but you are someone who's very much um, you come across as being someone who really is very self-assured and you know who you are as a person and you're not trying to be like anyone or anything else you're just being you um are there any sort of tips, I guess, that you can share about how um, to be yourself? It was interesting because when I was a professor, this question came up almost every day with a female student in my office trying to understand, like, especially when they were like looking for their uh, first job um, out of school. Uh, but I think there's two parts to that. It's one, you have to know yourself well enough to know what it is that you actually want in life and to understand what your strengths and weaknesses are. Because if you understand what your strengths and weaknesses are, then when you go and ask people for a job, or in my case, now I'm asking investors for money, um, or you're writing that proposal and trying to think of what the broader impacts are of a technology you're making, you feel very confident about what you're bringing to the table and you feel no shame in asking for what you're asking for. Um, And 
every, every time I do that, I see it as an opportunity for the other person to get to join me on my journey. And if they turn that down, that's a loss for them. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not a reflection of me. And I know myself well enough um, and the things that I'm really great at um, to know that when I put that stuff forward, that it is authentic and it's true. Um, and I feel, I, I feel no guilt or shame. Um, and I think that that's really important um, for women to feel very, very assured of themselves and what their strengths are. And it's not the same for everyone. Everyone's different and that's okay. And you just have to know what it is that you're bringing to the table and to not feel bad about it. That's so powerful because I think sometimes women feel embarrassed to be their own cheerleader. Yes. Um, but you make it sound so cool and so empowering. I'm listening to you talking about knowing yourself and I'm like, but it's so obvious. Like, why don't people do that? You know, but I don't know. There must be so many things that hold us back from doing that. And I think a lot of those reasons are actually sort of down to caring about what other people think. Um, how do you stand or where do you stand on this subject of um, pleasing others? Yeah, I'm definitely not a people uh, pleaser. Uh, I think that part of the problem is that culturally, um, and so this is in media, this is in movies, this is in books, this is in songs. It's constantly telling women what they should be like, that there's some archetype they should be like, right? in order to be um, acceptable. Um, where if you look culturally in media, it's like men can be anything, <laughs> right? There's no um, specific art. Like if you're a woman, you're supposed to be pleasant. You're supposed to be demure. You're supposed to be, you know, all you have to be, you have to want a family. You have to write all these things that are sort of like women are put on a pedestal, but it's a very tight, closed pedestal. Um, and I think, uh, honestly, women just have to stop listening to that. They have to ignore that and just say, I get to decide who I am, <laughs> what I want to be, you know, and you don't want to be something that hurts other people. So that's maybe where the line is. But apart from that, it's just you, you were dealt the cards you were dealt in life. You were, you were given the personality and gifts that you have. And you're the only you that will ever exist <laughs> forever <laughs> in the entire universe for all time. So it's like, you know, stop trying to be someone that already exists or some, you know, some false version of yourself. Uh, you only have so much time on planet Earth. Uh, make the best of it and have fun <laughs> and just be here. I, I think there's so much stress and pressure on women to be something else. And they waste way too much time um, trying to be that instead of just being themselves, having fun going after what it is that they actually want in life. What would you sort of as a last um, piece of advice give to anyone that's thinking of going into careers that are typically for boys? You want to do it. If you, if you look over what you want your life to look like, and for me, I wanted to be like Jordi LaForge from Star Trek and have that kind of impact on people using technology like who cares what the expectation is or what the norm is, just go do it. You know, it's it, at the end of the day, you know, we are, I hate to say this, we're all gonna die and we all only have so much time. 
and you know you want to get to the end of your life and feel like man I really <laughs> like I did everything I could have done and it was great I had so much fun and you know and no regrets so, I mean that's really you want to have as few regrets as possible when you get to the end. your message was so strong today and, and and that's really it's just if women can really find what it is that they want and just block out all the other messages coming to them <laughs> that would be you know because I, I feel like that's kind of boy, like young men are taught to do that. Yeah. <laughs> we can teach young women to do that too. So, yeah. And I think the work that you're doing is really important. I think that, I mean, even if it's not to go into STEM, I just think women in general need to feel confident that the decisions they're making are good decisions and that they're the only ones that get to make it. <laughs> like, you alone get to decide your destiny, not someone else. <laughs> yes. And that is such an important message. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think it's critically important. And I think that that's how you get, I mean, really equality at some point. Um, We can change laws. We can change, you know, requirements. But if women don't feel empowered to go after things, it doesn't actually change anything. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your your attitude is just so... uh, uplifting um do you have a lot of women sort of like coming towards you seeking mentorship um and if so like what do you think makes a good mentor yes i'm actually involved um in a mentorship program for women in uh engineering and science uh at the university um here uh, where my company is i think mentorship is critical um, my, a lot of my mentors are actually men, but they are men that work with women. And, you know, they're very, um, like my PhD advisor, um, the virologist that we work with now, um, they're just very, we have a very diverse. So I'd say one of the things that's very unusual about my company, um, we work with contract researchers at the university here where we're at, um, about half of our team is female and half of our team is non-white. Um, which is highly unusual <laughs> for uh, the type of work we do, but it's just people that are very committed to diversity um, and also just being striving for excellence, right? So it doesn't matter <laughs> what your background is or where you came from, striving for excellence. And I think when you partner with people and find mentors who are very committed to that and not just like as a glib saying, but they actually do it and you can tell. You, know, you just, you can always tell it takes five minutes just talking to them. Um, those are the people you want to be in cahoots with. Those are the people you want on your team. Those are the people you want to go to advice for. And I would say if you see a mentor, a potential mentor or someone that you want to partner with and you look at their body of work and who they work with, and it doesn't look like what you would want for your own professional career, don't take advice from them, <laughs> you know, find, find mentors that have the type of career and life that align with your goals in life. Um, and I think that, you know, cause then you learn from them, you learn all those mental tricks that help you be resilient. You learn how to become more excellent, um, in the type of profession that you want. Um, and so I think sometimes, uh, students or, you know, women get mentors that, don't actually help them in their goals. They might be exceedingly brilliant in their career field, but it doesn't actually align with what their personal goals are for their life. And so it's 
don't want to say wasted time, but it, it doesn't bear as much fruit as it would if you were with someone who, you know, <laughs> was more in line with what you wanted. Well, I just, oh gosh, everything that you represent is so profound. Like you, there's so much depth to um, your your attitudes. Um, and, you know, I hope that my audience really can hear um, just how deep your wisdom runs because um one of the fundamental things that I'm getting from speaking with you is that, you know, you've talked about um, some really difficult things that you've gone through, particularly in childhood, um, fundamentally difficult things. But yet at no point have I ever heard you describing yourself as a victim. Like you've used everything that's happened um, to your advantage like you've seen the hope in in everything that's happened and uh that's just so utterly profound like I mean how can you not ever succeed with an outlook like that I mean are you aware that that's what you may be doing yeah so I view all of the experiences both bad and good because I've had bad experiences in my life as just things that are in my mental toolbox right you learn something from everything. There's, and if you, you know, the, or you should be learning something from every experience you go through. Um, so no, and if you view it that way as a toolbox um, for to help you make better decisions and better choices as you move forward, you know, no situation is wasted. Uh, it all is something that can help you grow. Um, and so, you know, there's people that really regret like, man, I wish that wouldn't have happened to me. And I feel like that's just wasted energy. Like, don't, don't even reflect like, that. <laughs> uh, you should just be thinking, what did I learn from that situation? What did I do good? What did, what didn't go well? And what can I move forward with that with and take like the best parts of even bad situations <laughs> to help you, you know, cause at the end of the day, you being, I don't know, reflecting about how you wish something hadn't happened or about how uh, negative something was, doesn't actually help you and doesn't change the situation. It doesn't change the past. Um, and that's just waste. You're, and you only have so much energy, you know, we're, we're finite people. Um, and so that energy, you want to put that more, and, and I'm an engineer, right? So I'm like, it's more efficiently used going towards growing you as a person, getting you to your goals. Um, and you have to really be committed to not wasting, um, you know, your precious energy in areas that don't actually give back to you well one of the questions that i ask my interviewees is you know what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given but honestly your dad describing you as a queen just i think um sums you up like you are a total inspiration uh your attitudes are so uplifting and and just hearing you describe your outlook on life is enough to empower um, any women that, or men who want to go into STEM. So thank you so much for for sharing your story with us. Yeah, that was great. I love talk. I love talking. I have a deep interest in people and why people do what they do. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I think stuff like this is awesome. 
Thanks for listening. Please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. I'd love to have your feedback about this episode or any others that you've listened to and some suggestions about future topics for this show. It's all about self-discovery and evolution on innovation. So as always, be kind and loving to yourselves and I wish you all a great week.